0: All right. We have here Josh Johnston, founder of Hydra. What's going on, Josh? What's
1: up, man? Thanks for having me, guys. Really appreciate it. Absolutely.
0: Appreciate you coming on, man. You were one of the first people that we connected with at the event prior to the actual event at GeekX out in California. And we knew that you were up to some big things. You were speaking some lingo that we were... It was like some alien language to us on the agency side and and e-commerce and all these things. So, Happy to have you on, man. Tell us a little bit more about you know your background, what you're about, what you're up to now. The floor sure. is yours.
1: Yeah, man. Absolutely. Thanks again for having me on. And yeah, I mean, I've been in the agency space for six or seven years now. actually started in the fitness space before I got into agency. So started there, kind of moved into the agency space randomly. One of my best friends from elementary school started an agency and he was like, hey man, like I want you to come on and be my COO. And I was like, that's awesome, COO. I don't even know what that means, but I'm in. Like, Give give me the position. Let's do it. So came in, kind of self-taught myself the position of chief operating officer within the agency and didn't even really know. Like I thought we were just kind of like running like social media accounts. Like I thought we were just like making posts on people's people's businesses' profiles and stuff, which is kind of how we got started in the space. But then eventually it, it evolved into running paid advertisement through now Meta, but back then Facebook, Instagram, and then eventually led to content creation for a lot of e-commerce, direct-to-consumer e-commerce brands, hence why I know, you know, Nick Shackelford and all of these guys in the e-commerce marketing space. So kind of bloomed into that, ended up Kind of catching a wave of fire that carried into one, e commerce really had a big boom during like 2017 to 2019, uh, which is right when we were, you know, getting traction with our agency. So, one, we rode the wave of e commerce, but also we rode the wave of just like a very, very few strong brands that allowed us to scale our agency. And it's like, we were kind of the go-to in the content department when it came to creating ads for like Snow Teeth Whitening. I don't, I don't know if you guys met Josh at the event, but like we were creating a lot of their their content for their ads. We were creating content for a brand called the OODI, which really took off in Australia back in like 2018, 2019. And so we just kind of caught this wave of, of momentum when it came to bringing on clients. And back then it was like, you know, we were kind of like just kids back then. And it was like just trying to figure things out. And so I had to very quickly teach myself the operational position and how to actually operate a team of. At our peak, had twenty eight people on our team doing a couple of seven figures a month in revenue. And then in twenty twenty, just as like the pandemic was hitting, we decided to undergo an acquisition. First acquisition made a ton of mistakes <laughs> during the acquisition, but was a really good learning curve for us and and taught us a lot about how to run businesses more profitably, so we can get a better multiple for our business. And yeah, we just learned so much. Anytime you go under an acquisition, I think the first one is probably gonna suck. <laughs> and then the ones after that, it's like you learn so much from the first one that you kind of know and understand like, hey, these are things that we have to do in business in order to get a better multiple. And so after our exit, I decided to start up a consulting firm called Hydra. And that consulting firm we now help digital marketing agencies grow and scale their operation, anything from, you know, generating more leads to fulfilling for their clients, getting better sales conversions, building out a strong HR team that will allow you to hire the best talent possible for for your agency, and then also managing finance at a high level. So if you do undergo an acquisition one day, or you're wanting to cash flow an agency as like an asset, you're more than able to do that. You can bring you know a ton of cash flow in, or you can position yourself for a better sale. So that's kind of kind of where we're at today. Sorry, long winded there, but I wanted to give you guys a little bit of context. Uh, no, so you guys understood.
0: That's awesome, man. And we're going to get into Hydra in a second, but I want to go back to the acquisition side of things because it's very interesting for people. It's a very nuanced thing. It's very individualized when it happens. And going through it your first time, you most likely don't have the right advisors on board. You don't understand the tax implications after you get the check. You don't understand what really goes into making things a better multiple. So all that factors into these firms that are giant with a bunch of money taking advantage of you. What were some things that you experience. So tell us a little bit more about the experience from a macro perspective, but then also what were some things that you wish you would have done better that would have made it a better experience or a better valuation?
1: Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think having a good understanding and and I don't necessarily blame, you know, the people that that buy agencies, they're looking for the best deal possible. So when they do their own due diligence, they're going to be looking for like in between all the cracks and finding all the inefficiencies, you know, to give you essentially the lowest multiple possible. Right. And so for us, like, I think some areas of opportunity that we really could have cleaned up beforehand, and it was definitely more of a strategic partnership than, than anything. But for us, like one, we weren't really optimized for, for EBITDA. Right. And, and, you know, we could have, we really could have brought more to the bottom line for ourselves before we decided to go under an acquisition, had a better track record there because we were just optimizing for growth. We were just hiring people because we had a lot more work coming in and we weren't really optimized at that time. To dictate the multiple that we really should have gotten for for such a strong cash flow asset, right so that would have been one thing I would have you know I would have liked to see like another year year and a half of consistent consistent profit before because like there were months where we'd be like, hey like we're just not going to take you know we'll take you know s- sub ten percent profit this month, sometimes even break even or at a loss, so we can invest back into the team and so we can grow like there were months where we built out full like a full studio that cost us 30, 40 grand that, you know, it really affects your bottom line, but that studio is going to help us become more profitable in the future. Cause we don't have to book Airbnbs. We don't have to, you know, you know, have spend money on models traveling out there. We don't have to send our team out to locations, everything can be done in house for us. So, you know, for us, like we were doing a lot of like growth during that time. So we weren't really optimized for profit. So that would be the first thing. The second thing would be agreements and contracts in the agency space most most acquisitions will happen from they will take a peek at what is future cash flow going to look like. We were operating on you know on a few shorter agreements. I would have liked to see all of our clients get into like a six or twelve month agreement. so future cash flows were in a better position for us, and the acquirer would have had a better opportunity to say, okay, here's how much cash we can actually re- rely on over the next six to twelve months. It's just going to put you in a better place.
2: And in, and in result automation. in result, there comes a higher check to you guys is the oh is the thought. Course. Right? Yeah, of course.
1: Yeah, of course. Of course. So I would have liked to see that. We had we had a lot of clients. Basically the the structure that we ran with was 90 days like at the beginning, which is totally normal as an agency model goes, like, hey, we're gonna try this for 90 days. If you guys love it, awesome, we'll talk about continuation. And the biggest mistake that I see in the agency space is people will either do just like a rolling agreement of, hey, we're just month to month until we just decide to stop working together which will work against you in an acquisition because there's no long-term agreement in place and there's no future cash flows, right? Because technically all of your clients after that 90-day period could just get up and leave. It could happen. It probably won't, but it could. And if it could, that means it's going to work against you in the acquisition.
0: And I think that's that's what's so important about building with the end in mind because if and i'm not sure what position you guys were in in terms of like if you knew that you wanted to sell or if there was just some interest and you're like all right, cool there i mean they're offering a big number and this yeah. might make sense if you start building with the end in mind you can make those short-term decisions based on what you understand the long-term outcome is because now you're able to really say hey is this decision in alignment whether it's the contracts or deciding to grow and reinvest back into the company or just taking cash flow so tell us a little bit more about what Hydra is built for? What's the end in mind with Hydra? And then let's go deep into the you know what yeah. the company actually does.
1: Yeah, good question. I mean, I feel like the vision is always moving a little bit, but I would say from at least my 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 partner and my perspective, what we're building is kind of the what I would consider the like Bain Consulting or the McKinsey Consulting of the agency space or like digital service space. So right now we're specifically focused on digital marketing agencies as the client that we serve. It's the one niche that we really want a mile deep in, but eventually like we do have ambitions to get into other, other services, right? So, you know, if we can prove this model for consulting ourselves, well, we can teach this to other consultants, right? We also like, we're very in depth in the e-commerce space as well. So building a consulting arm specifically for e-commerce makes a lot of sense for us too. There's a lot of cross collaboration that happens there. And then even down the acquisition road, like, like we want to get into like being able to provide due diligence for for buyers, for agencies that are looking to buy other agencies or e-commerce brands. like There's a lot that happens. There's a lot of collaboration between e commerce and agencies that happens. So the opportunities are pretty limitless on that end. Like I said, there's not 100% clarity on it yet because we're just not at that stage. We're very much focused on the consulting for agencies right now. But there's a lot of different revenue paths for us, which is exciting we have to stay narrow in our, in our, in our thought right now, but eventually it will expand outside of what we're doing now, which is just agency consulting. So that's kind of like North star, honestly, like it's super, it's super ambitious, but honestly, like, I just don't really want to sell this business. It's actually my first, my first actual business that I'm like, that I started. So like, obviously I'm holding it a little bit tight to the chest, but honestly, like an acquisition, like the only acquisition number that, that makes sense to me is is going to probably be in the nine figure range for what we're building but i've got a 10 to 12 year time horizon on what we're building so i'm totally okay with being patient and waiting there's a lot of things i want to do and i want this to be a vessel for me for other investment opportunities great thing about consulting great thing about agency is that it cash flows extremely efficiently i mean you know if we really squeeze profit margins out of the consultancy i mean we'd be you know north of 60% relatively easily no, no. Um, we run between 30 and 40 normally, just because we're constantly putting, putting some, some capital back into it. But at its most efficient point, there's no reason that it couldn't run at a very high profit margin. And we take that cash into other, other wealth building opportunities for us. So So I want to back up a little bit. Just so you
2: you exited a business with, with some business partners. It's my understanding. Totally don't feel the need to like share that number, but I imagine Mm -hmm. after that exit, there's a period of like, wow, like, you know, you've put in all this work for a few years. Yeah. What was that point like for you? You're kind of sitting on a pile of dough. When, what did that timeline look like until you said, Hey, I want to go into business for myself. I, I really want to to yeah. hit the ground sprinting here again.
1: Yeah. I would say it was probably a couple months after our acquisition. I mean, the team was running relatively seamless at the time. Didn't really need a ton of effort from, from me anymore. So it seemed like a good exit point. So with that being said, it it was pretty immediate after the acquisition. I didn't have a buyout period because I wasn't I wasn't the main equity holder in the business, I had, a, I had a minority share. And so for me, like it it was an easy transition out. I I always knew I wanted to do something on my own, and it just seemed like the right transition period for me to start something new. And for me, I never knew really what I wanted to do when it came to like starting my own business, but as we grew the agency, we actually, we used to hold workshops for other agency owners because people would ask us to be like, Hey, can we, can we do consulting with you? And we were always like, yeah, that's fine. But like, I don't like, we don't really want to jump on zoom calls. So people would actually used to fly out to us or drive out to us and and spend like two days with us and just like wow. learn. I was like, yeah, like basically it's a combination of like, you kind of shadow us, but also, Hey, let me give you the frameworks of like actually how we're running this. And I loved it. I was like, this is one of the most fun things that I've ever done in business, I wonder if this could actually be a business and yeah, that's kind of how I got into the consulting yeah. space and eventually started started Hydra
2: so to go into the consulting conversation, Antonio and I, as you know, own a consulting firm as well, like we're always constantly asking these questions and, and we follow some of the same influencers like you know, Taylor Welsh and, and uh, mm-hmm. you know, people that are kind of like archetypes of the of the consulting space. What does the future of consulting hold? Across all marketplaces in your opinion, with you know, chat GPT and all this new AI that's coming out and all this new technology, as as that all continues to evolve, what is the market going to look like for consulting across all kind of marketplaces in general, do you think?
1: Yeah, that's a great question. You know, I think AI is gonna to continue to be a tool for us to to utilize as consultants. And it's like it's so funny because I actually have a I actually use chat GPT as like a an AI consultant for myself, like I've built out the correct prompts to literally build out a chief operating officer for an agency. And if I get like to a sticking point, or if I'm like, you know, wanting to see like a specific workflow or design a certain SOP, I will literally just have it prompt me and and, and, or I will prompt it and it will create whatever for me. So I think it's going to be a great tool for consultants if we know how to use it. But also there's like the opposite side of like, why couldn't other people just use it? (laughs) <laughs> to get at the same level of consulting, right? I don't know if it's quite at that level yet. You got to know the right prompts. And I think I think we would understand what the right prompts would actually be. So as of right now, AI is just going to continue to be a tool for us to be more optimized. We're already using it very heavily in a lot of our audit process of like when agencies are either interested in starting with us or wanting to come on. We audit everyone's business that comes on with us. And we use we use ChatGPT for that audit process and an audit that used to take us Four to six hours now takes us 30 to 40 minutes.
0: Yeah, it's such a good point because I think at the end of the day, as AI continues to progress, and it's such an awesome tool if used properly, people are always still going to be people, right? So entrepreneurs that are in growth mode are always going to like, there's always going to be a need because they don't have the time, knowledge, or desire to do it themselves anyway. So there's always a role, in my opinion, for somebody to come in as a consultant and just get the answers for them. So that's really yep. what, what I'm paying you as a consultant for is like, hey, go get this information for me because my time is best spent elsewhere.
1: Um, exactly. So whether yeah, that's we're just,
0: finding humans or utilizing AI, but go ahead. Sorry.
1: Yeah. Yeah. We're just minimizing the, the time horizon, right? Like if we can, if we can help them skip a few steps and that's, what's great is like, you know, all, all of this is stuff that I learned from my own agency, which is, you know, one of the, our unique selling propositions is like, we've done it before we've made all the mistakes. Like there, this did not exist. When I was running my agency, I wish it did because I would have loved to hire someone to help us move a little bit faster. We made a ton of mistakes in our agency, and so if we can help eliminate a lot of the mistakes that that I made and, and that my partner made building our agencies, you know I, I think that's really beneficial for the party that's engaging with us.
0: Yeah, well, well said, man. And you have a ton of skill sets across the board on just you know the, these platforms and the web, and you could easily monetize those skill those skill sets across all different businesses. How do you stay focused? Like, how do you stay in your lane when you know that there's so much other opportunity out there to monetize?
1: Yeah. Yeah. So I used to have a mentor. Well, still have a mentor. His name's Judge Graham. I always love giving him a shout out when I can. He's he's one of the the best people in the agency space, has had multiple exits. He had a eight-figure exit and a nine-figure exit with his agencies, which is absolutely insane for for an agency to exit at uh, that type of multiple got a got a 10x on his his second agency exit which is pretty absurd was pumping 45 million dollars in EBITDA <laughs> into his into his business right so it's like there's like levels to this game but he always talked to me about like hey there's riches riches in the niches which i think is probably most guru's favorite term right and it's like oh yeah you gotta pick a pick a niche right but for us like i've seen it just work so well and for me, like I would rather be a leader in one space than just an average Joe in a hundred spaces. Like I've never been the person to really, uh, you know, to not try my best at like the one thing. Right outside of sports, I don't know why sports was the one thing where I was like, you know, I'm going to play everything and I'm just going to be pretty average at all of them. But for business, I've always kind of taken the, the mindset of I'm going to be the best at this one thing in the competition is really going to have to hustle to be as good as me. And so yeah. when you have all these opportunities knocking, and I think the book that really did it for me was Essentialism by Greg McCown. There's this graphic inside of Essentialism that it, it's literally burns into, into the back of my brain where it's two circles. The one circle has like 10, 12 different arrows all pointing in a bunch of different directions, but in a short distance. And then the other circle has one arrow attached to it and it's going a very long distance. And I think that's kind of the mindset that I have when it comes around growing and scaling businesses is that you're always going to have these distractions and there's always going to be a ton of opportunity for you to make money. But is it going to be the vehicle to get you to your desired result? Chances are no, because all of your focus is in one specific area. So for us, I've always picked one niche in in whatever business that I've been a part of. And it's like, hey, we're going to go a mile deep on this. We're just going to be the market leader. We're going to be the absolute best at this and it's going to be hard for people to compete with us and when the opportunity arises for us to jump into something new we're going to go and dominate that space as well right so that's why we're kind of holding off and my rule of thumb for this is always like hey we're going to get we're going to get this one business to a multi million dollar run rate and then once it's there then we can go ahead and 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 start going on to another another niche as needed so that won't happen for you know for us until we until we reach that that milestone right <laughs>
2: And you had mentioned a 10 to 12 year time horizon of kind of a vision that you have. What does that yeah. vision look like 10 to 12 years from now? Like, what does what is that, you know, I, across the board, just kind of lay it all out there from 10 to 12 years down the road, that time horizon. What does yeah. life look like? What does business look like? Where are you yeah. at?
1: Yeah, 10, 10 to 12 years down the road from now, a couple of different things. I think at some point we'll have an offer for an acquisition. I think the only people that could, potentially buy us at that point would be like a McKinsey group or like a Bain consulting, something like that. That would be the goal, right? If we're going to get acquired, I want to be acquired by one of those guys. And I want to essentially have our business come in as like the digital arm of those, of those businesses. Cause right now they work with mostly what fortune 500 fortune 100 type businesses. Like that's who goes to them. Whereas in we're more geared towards digital services. And if we can have a similar consulting model to those guys and fit in seamlessly, there's no reason we couldn't exit for for nine figures if we do it the right way. Hence why we need such a long time horizon in 10 years isn't even that long in my opinion. So that's kind of like, that's the North Star goal of like, that's where we're trying to get to. But as far as like life goes for me, I just enjoy, I enjoy the, I enjoy the chase, right? You know, that's, that's my biggest thing is like, I just enjoy working and building. I spend most of my time just doing this. So I don't know. I don't know like what the ideal life looks like for me. I don't think I'm a guy that's just going to like collect his paycheck and just be like, all right, like time to go to the beach. And, and, <sighs> you know, like, I'm sure there'll be seasons of that, but I enjoy the game just like, you know, Alex hermosi always talks about, Is like, he's like, I just enjoy playing the game. Like, I don't think I'll ever just quit. And that's kind of the mindset. And, and you know, I'll have my seasons of, of rest and, and hustle, but, yeah, as far as like the biggest North Star goal goes, it's it's it would be like a nine figure exit or just creating enough cash flow that we can build a, a strong real estate portfolio, be able to pretty much do all the activities that that we want to do. But I don't know. I, I think for me, it's like just enjoying the game and continuing to to make progress.
0: I love it, man. I love it. Let's gear towards the personal side here. I know we had a little running joke about your name. You go by you like your real name's Josh Johnson, but what what is Josh Kobayashi like? What what's the what's the story yeah. behind that on Instagram? Yeah,
1: well, Josh Johnston's like the most boring white person name I think <laughs> on the face of the planet. So when we were running the agency, we were huge playing like playing ping pong. I would put my ping pong skills against most people. Like we would play for an absurd amount of time. Like we probably lost some money due to how much we actually played ping pong. We do like two, three, four hour like ping pong tournaments in our our business. Well, it sounds like
2: you got, it sounds like you got pretty vertical in one sport then.
1: Very (laughs) vertical in in ping pong. Yeah, Yeah, it's been a while. I haven't, I haven't been able to, I just don't have a table anymore. So it's been, it's been a minute, but yeah. So we used to play all the time. We used to like host like internal tournaments. We would bring in like a, we had like a speaker system with a microphone. So like I would like announce the games and stuff. But we used to give each other nicknames all the time. So like one of our media buyers, we called him like Robbie Kiyosaki. That was his like ping pong name. His name was Rob Perry. And
2: motivational type of talks is like, go, 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 go. But the reality behind that is, is I think, a little bit more in a gray area than black and white, you know? For
1: sure. And I think you have to understand the mission that you're on. I I feel like Tom has a, a vision and a mission that is way different than mine, right? My vision and mission doesn't require me to work 90 hours a week. Someone like Elon Musk, that mission requires you to probably put in a lot of time and a lot mm-hmm. of hours, right? And for me, like, I think you have to balance and measure like how much responsibility do you actually want to have inside of this world? Like, Elon Musk has a ton of responsibility. There's like you, you're talking like you have to travel with twenty four seven security. Like you, like that's not a responsibility that I personally want. And so for me, like, I don't know. I think you have to understand what you want out of your business and understand that. You don't need billion, a billion dollars in order to have like a very fulfilled life. I think that's sometimes the narrative that gets gets preached is like you constantly have to be growing and building. And it's like, well, you know, it's cool to to run on maintenance and and to enjoy enjoy some of the fruits of the labor too. So I don't know. I I feel like my mentality is like, hey, like I'm I'm well balanced. Like if I die tomorrow, I don't want my entire legacy to just be like I just worked always.
0: Like that's yeah. it.
1: That's all people it, know me for.
0: That's the beautiful thing about entrepreneurship, man. It really is you define what you want it. Like this is your company. So you define yeah. how you want to play that game. And, and I think yeah. that segues perfectly into kind of the theme of our podcast. Our podcast is called the Consistency Wins podcast. That's our, that's our brand and everything that we are about is consistency. And I, I think consistency over intensity is, is it, consistency is definitely, in my opinion, more important than intensity because intensity requires you to constantly just be rubbing the, the, like you're just constantly grinding against a rock instead of just mm. a smooth beautiful ride and everything that you had talked about is this beautiful embodiment of consistency where you're just more consistent more times than not so tell us yeah. a little bit more about how that shows up in your life
1: yeah you know for me it's it's in seasons right there's going to be seasons where I'm more consistent seasons that I'm less consistent and and you know for me like there has to be some self-awareness involved in that like right now I'm, I'm in a pretty consistent season as far as like my routines and my my daily requirements of myself go just because that's what the business needs of me for for right now, but then I'll have seasons where I'm like i I'm not gonna get up early <laughs> i'm not I'm not doing the five ams for you know a month or something because you know hey like I want to adjust my schedule I think routine I think routine can sometimes be a detriment to creativity when you are doing the same stuff every single day and it's it's kind of like you kind of get at some point stuck in this like mundane routine. And for me, like I have to break that routine. I have to create something different, different stimulus in my life for me to think differently, to think more creatively. And so that means sometimes breaking my consistency and and becoming inconsistent. Right. Um, I think Taylor Welch actually talks specifically on how he breaks routine at least, at least I think like once a quarter of, you know, maybe like a week or two weeks where he's like, yeah, like no routine like I'm going to go to the gym at in the afternoon instead of the morning, right? And it's just going to allow for more more space to think because you're not stuck in the same the same mindset, the same routine every single day, right? It's going to get you outside of your comfort zone. It's going to a- allow you to do things just slightly different. So, yeah. I'm a big proponent. Like I love consistency and I love like I love a good morning routine. And I love a good evening routine, but every once in a while man, like I just love to break it and I don't know. Just kind of do things, whatever the way the the world's kind of pulling me, do it that way for a minute, and then I'll I'll jump back on because I think there are seasons where I need routine and I need regimen. So for me, it's a balance. It, it's definitely balancing it out.
2: Totally, totally. Well, Josh, I know as we come to the end here, Tony and I both are super grateful that our worlds collided. I know we're definitely going to want to have you on again, kind of do a little catch up, part two, yeah, state of state of state of the union of of Josh Kobayashi. But I, I guess before you hop off. Maybe give our listeners just how they can follow your journey, how they can connect with you for anybody that's, that's kind of looking to like level up their, their business as well. Maybe just, you know, lay it all out there.
1: Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So add Joshi Kobayashi on, on Instagram, that's probably where I'm most active. Second place that I'm most active is probably gonna be like Twitter and YouTube. So I've got profiles there as well. Um, how do you spell Kobayashi? How do you spell uh, that? Yeah. So <laughs> I think for it's For the folks spelt, like myself with CTE. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I think it's actually spelled incorrectly. I'm pretty sure anyone from from Asia would just be like, "This guy's an idiot." But it's K O B Y A S H I.
2: Okay, sweet. Yeah, sweet. Yeah. Sorry I didn't mean to cut you off, but nope, so that's the Instagram on. handle, Josh Kobayashi.
1: Yep, yep, yep. So if you're like, if you're wanting like agency, like very agency-specific content, YouTube is definitely the place for that. If you want to see me like troll people, go go to Twitter. That's that's kind of. Kind of where I'm most active, so YouTube, Twitter, Instagram, those are the three,
0: the three spots. So, love it, man. Well, Josh, thank you so much for coming on, sharing your story. We're super excited to continue to watch your success and support it. And have a great day, man.
1: Thanks, guys. Appreciate you.